May the words I speak and the words we hear be your life, words of life to us, our God. Amen. So, uh, a few weeks, well, nearly a couple of months ago, uh, Taika Waititi uh, was interviewed for some kind of um, American media thing, and in the, in, the, in the interview he said, New Zealand was racist as, and then he used another word which we don't need to use. And this uh, caused quite a bit of a storm, didn't it? Um, Duncan Garner was outraged and uh, said he was being uh, sabotaging New Zealand. Uh, in the past, Duncan Garner's called him a traitor for saying similar things. Uh, and I'm sure those kind of terminology was used in some of the talkback radio. What Taika said, and he was backed up by the other person who was being interviewed at the same time, was that, I mean, I think New Zealand is the best place on the planet, but it's a racist place. People just flat out refuse to pronounce Māori names properly, and they're still profiling when it comes to Polynesians. Well, in many ways, he's right. I mean, we do profile. When I was at university, I can remember whenever I saw a Māori or Polynesian student feeling sorry for them and wondering how they were getting on, what kind of struggles they were having. I look back at that and go, why did I think that? They were probably doing way better than I was. But my experience of Polynesians and Māori had been they were in the bottom forms. I was blind to the Polynesian and Māori in, in the classes that I was in for some reason. They were all just down there in the bottom form. So my assumption was they were all quite thick. So to have them at university, well, man, it must be a struggle for them. And that kind of happens all the time. We have these unconscious assumptions about people based on whether they're Māori or Polynesian. I remember at college doing this and we were talking about how people are afraid of Māori and Polynesians and the next day I was walking down the street and there was a large Māori coming towards me and I could feel the fear in me. I went, where does that come from? Like, when have I ever had a negative experience of Māori? It was sobering to notice that same reaction in me and that happens. It's unconscious. We can only do something about that when we're conscious of it and work to work against it. And it becomes dangerous when politicians use that for their own gain and unfortunately when police profile people like that, which they do because they're human, just like us. And so people who work with young Māori or Polynesians will tell you that young groups of young male Polynesian or Māori will be picked up by the police in question just because they're out on the streets together as a group. And sometimes they might be up to no good, just like groups of white people might be, but sometimes, a lot of the time, they're just out having a good time. And the Māori place names, well, he's deadly right there, isn't he? I mean, we are... You can go back and keep typing on for a little while. Um, so... Uh, like it's weird because, like, Caddy Cat, where did the eye go? The last one. It's cutty cutty. It's not hard to say. And the really weird part of it is that, in terms of English words, we're mostly insistent that we pronounce it exactly as it's spelt. So, Lieutenant is generally disappearing from our 
vocabulary and being replaced by lieutenant because that's how it's spelt. And I grew up in Wellington where there's Marsh Bank Street and most people now call it Marjorie Bank Street because, John, that's how it's spelt. But when it comes to Māori names, well, we can do whatever we like with that. Tika Wada. Tikofada. That, that bears no resemblance to the letters. Paparam. Or Pram, as people call it now. Let's just leave most of the letters out. And then there's the Kawaro River near Queenstown. And I can remember when I went to book my jet boat in when we were down there on a family holiday and I said, can I book a jet boating trip on the Carborow? Because I still had worked out that the RAU was like row, row your boat, row, row, row your boat. When you see the RAU, just think of that. And they looked at me strangely and then they said that how they pronounced that and I looked at the letters and I looked at them and I looked at the letters and I went, that river there? And they said there what they said again and I went, how did you get that sound from that bunch of letters. There's no correlation there. It's so far off I can't even remember what they call it. It's like the name was Reginald and they went, oh, that's too hard, let's just call it Fred. And we do that as well. So yes, we do mispronounce Māori names and sometimes that's just laziness and sometimes it's because we don't know better and sometimes it's deliberate. When this was all blowing up, there was a radio ad guy that kind of told a story about how he had a job and he was doing a radio ad and the guy who was paying for it went, no, 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 mate, it's not cutty cutty, it's catty cat. If you can't say it properly, I'll get somebody else who can. I don't think it was cutty cutty, but it was that kind of thing. You know, like, unless you can say it properly, which was mispronounce it, adulterate it. So he lost his job. He said, I'm not going to mispronounce it going to do that to my language. Thank you very much. Of course, the issue is bigger than that, isn't it? There's the furore that people would dare to use one of our national languages on New Zealand Radio National, which kind of came to a bit of a head last week or the week before when Guy and Espiner interviewed the guy who owns the cafe in Christchurch where the menu is in Te Rau Māori and you get discounts if you order in Te Rau Māori and he was running, he ran a free Te Rau Māori course and he thought he might get 10 people come along and they got hundreds really interested so Guyan interviewed him in Te Rau Māori and then they translated it, people were outraged how dare they use that language on our radio we don't want that muck on our radio this is our national language so, I don't know, maybe Tyker's got a point. The problem with all of this is, when we mispronounce Māori names, when we disparage the language like that, we are essentially saying that that language is so unimportant to us that we will just denigrate it. And it's a small step from Māori language to Māori culture, we just declare it unimportant, of no place in our New Zealand society. And it's a very small step from there to you as Māori people are unimportant. You have no place. Stop being Māori, just be like us, white people.
And that, that is the book definition of racism. And that's tragic that that happens in our country. So why am I talking about this? Well, today is Tepohere Sunday. And the Anglican Church is probably no different from any other church, any other part of New Zealand society. It's full of people who think like that. And yet somehow, in the late 1980s, we developed this amazing constitution which still baffles a lot of New Zealanders. So in the late, late 1970s, there was a, like there weren't even seats for Māori in General Synod. And that was really, like, that was because, well, if you're good enough to be elected, you'll get elected and you'll be on our General Synod. And there was an overall assumption that our, our way of doing things was the right way, it was the God-given way, it's the Church of England way, so it must be the God-given way. And English, well, that's our language, so that's the right way to do things. And so everything was done in a very English Parker way. And the problem with that was, well, when Māori were training to do ordained ministry, they went to St John's College and they were trained in English for a Parker ministry setting. And they often did their curacies in Parker parishes. And then, if they were lucky, they'd go and minister in a Māori community. Nothing they had done up to that point trained them for that because the worlds were so different. And General Synod was making decisions for the benefit of everyone, but this significant part of our church, the Māori Anglican Church, wasn't there. So how those decisions were affecting the Māori Anglican Church was never talked about. The issues facing the Māori Anglican Church were never talked about. And their hopes and aspirations were never talked about. And so in the late 1970s, General Synod surprisingly said, well, this isn't good enough. We need to have Māori seats at General Synod. And so Te Pilpatanga was recognised and they were given seats on General Synod. Which is kind of like the Māori ward issue, really, isn't it? I don't know what it is that frightens us about that. But at the moment, well, I look at us. I mean, how many of us speak to Rao Māori? I'm probably the best of us, and I don't. How many of us know the iwi or the hapu? How many of us could name the marae in Tauranga Moana, let alone have any connection with those marae? How many of us, how many of us know what goes on in and around and between those marae? How many of us know what's happening on a hapu and iwi level? How many of us know what matatini is or tupokai? The trouble with our councillors is they're like us. They don't know either. And so they make decisions on behalf of everyone, for the benefit of everyone, but we have a sizable chunk of our population who are not at the table. And they have no way of knowing what effect those decisions have for those people, who are not only a growing percentage of our population, but actually a growingly, increasingly important group of people in terms of land ownership. So councillors are saying, look, this isn't working. We need to have Māori at the decision-making table so we can make good decisions on behalf of everyone. I know Mike Hosking says if Māori were good enough, they'd be elected. I can tell you the last time there was a Māori on the Tauranga City Stroke Town Council. 
1994, Maria Natai. And there have been, in the last two elections, great Māori candidates who did not get elected. We don't vote for them. Is that back to that profile? We don't. We think, oh, I'll just go for the white man. And you know, if you look at all the people who have been councillors since 1994, <laughs> the vast majority have been white men. I vote for Māori and for women. Just so there are some, perhaps. So that's, what are we afraid of here? Why, why can't we have Māori at the decision-making table? Oh, you know, everyone's there for everyone. That's not true. I've got councillors that are supposed to represent the issues of Mount Papamaa. You've got councillors that are supposed to represent your issues. Whether they do or not, it's debatable, but that's what they're there for. So, 1990, the church came up with a new constitution which said, it's just not working. You know, like we keep pretending that our English way of doing things suits everyone and it's not working. We need to find another way. Which brings us to today's gospel reading. Now, this isn't the gospel reading set down for Paul Hedy Sunday, but it is the one in the RCL lectionary, so I thought we'd keep it. And it's a really interesting reading because we often read it as if Jesus is doing something radically new with the law and the understanding about what the Sabbath is about. So we think that all Jews at that point thought that the Sabbath needed to be kept holy because God said so, and if they didn't keep the rules, then they wouldn't be holy and then they'd be in trouble, which in part is true. But one or a couple of the commentaries I read, been, actually there is a rabbinic tradition that goes back beyond Jesus that says very similar things to what Jesus was saying. It wasn't that radical. So what is it that he's... Where are the roots of this, what Jesus is saying? Well, it's actually in the commandment in Exodus and Deuteronomy. So in Exodus, and I need to look at my notes, see if I can wake up my tablet... Exodus 20 talks about, uh, so Exodus 20 says that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. To rest on Shabbat, the seventh day, is to rest with God from the work of creation. So that for the other six days, the Hebrew people could join God in the ongoing work of creation. It wasn't just, I need to have a day off so that I can recreate. It was for a a particular purpose. So that the people of God could rest with God and then join with God in the ongoing work of creation. Sabbath was for life. It was created for life. So that out of that there would be a people who would work to create life in their world. The honouring of the covenant. That's That's in Exodus. And it's in the rabbinic tradition interpreting Exodus. Deuteronomy has a different reason for the Sabbath. Deuteronomy says, Deuteronomy 5, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, 
And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So, what was that about? Well, in the story setting, these people had just been slaves. Do you know how many days off a week you get as a slave? None. Not one. They worked seven days a week in grueling conditions. And they were brought out of slavery. And then God said, you will never again be slaves. And you will never treat people as you were treated. One day a week is off for you and your servants and your slaves. Shabbat was for life. And not only were to have that day off, but they were then to stop and see where Shabbat was needed in the world. Where were people who needed life? Goes back to Exodus, joining God in the ongoing work of creation. So, I think at this point we're supposed to have the Markin picture. So you go through the picture of Tepohedi, and yes, that one. So here we are, that story. So that, as one of the rabbinic teachings from the same time as Jesus said, saving life overall, Shabbat, but Shabbat was about creating life. So when Jesus does his thing, he's not doing something radically new. He is simply digging deep within a rabbinic tradition that already existed. So there's this big debate going on. So what has that got to do with us? Well, he was saying <coughs> for the Pharisees, keeping the laws, keeping the structures, keeping how things should be done was really important. <coughs> because when the law was obeyed and lived out, then the Messiah would come and the kingdom of God would be restored to Israel. And Jesus is saying, actually, it's not working. It's not working. Shabbat is no longer giving life. Shabbat is hurting life. And that's made very clear in the story because when Jesus challenges the Pharisees, is Shabbat about life or death? He restores the withered hand and they go out and plot his death. Two choices. So, what does that mean for us? Well, it, the invitation is for us to stop and to think about how do our structures give life or do they not give life within the church and within our society? How do the ways that we do things, how do our assumptions, how do the rules that we think are even holy, how do they give life? How do they help us join God in the ongoing work of creation? And how do they inhibit that? Which takes us back to Depoheri. In 1990, when so the, the Anglican flag can come back up. So in 1990, when we... That was to tell me I'd been going for 19 minutes. <laughs> so we're nearly there. <laughs> a bit worried about this sermon. So, in 1990, when this new constitution came into being, 
I would say it was a bold move that the Spirit of God blew through our church in a way that it's still hard for us to understand. Because the people making these decisions were no different than many other New Zealander. And they, the debates were intense, those of you who were around at the time. And I don't know that that passage from Mark was ever used, but it might have been. I don't remember it. As a young, first of all, theological student and then a, and then a, a young deacon and priest in those debates. And they were feisty, hot debates about all of this stuff. The same debates that are going on today. But somehow our church was able to do what Jesus invited us to in the power of the Spirit and to say, you know what, these might be God-given structures and ways of doing things because they do come from Mother England, but they really are not working. And we need to find another way. And we found another way. It's not perfect. It could still be improved. But I think the fruit of that was seen uh, around General Synod when our new Archbishop Don Tamahiri was installed in Gisborne. King Tuhetia went from Waikato across Waikato across there. There I'm doing it myself. And um, was part of those installation events. And then a week later he invited Piopadon to preach at the closing ecumenical service for his week-long celebration marking the 160th anniversary of the crowning of the first Māori king. And when Don preached, and then in the, in the mihi afterwards, Māori referred to him as their archbishop. Ringatū Ratna Methodist. Not just Tahahi Mihinari, but their archbishop as well. And that has happened because we said to Tikanga Māori, you can organise your own life, you can make your own mistakes, and they have made some, so have we. But the fruit is, at moments like that, when the place of the Anglican Church is seen in that light again. Now, who knows what will happen with that, but there's a lot of hope around this moment. And it's because of Te Pōhere. Te Pōhere uh, means, well, it's the mooring post for waka. So Te Pōhere is on the bank and you tie your waka to it. It is the mooring post for us with our three waka. We can tie our canoes to it and be held together by it. But interestingly, Kaitahu in the South Island named their website it is the place where all from Kaitahu can choose to connect, to network, unite. And they talk about Pohiri referring to the mooring post, but coming from the Whakatoki, to Pohiri Taka, to Pohiri Tikaka, the post that ties the people and the customs together. So today we give thanks for Te Pohere, the way that it has changed our church, the way we do things, the way we see the world. So, as we think about the issues that Taika Waititi raised and the reaction to that, I wonder, what does Te Pohere help us say into those debates? What do we have to say about the use of Māori? What do we have to say about Māori place names? 
What do we have to say about issues like Māori wards? Do we have anything to contribute to those discussions? So I'm going to invite you to turn around and talk to your neighbour for a minute or two about what does Te Pōhere help us offer our country in terms of those issues.